It's Friday, so it must be Divorce TV show time. And we have three lovely guests today. We've got Trisha Wolfrey of Your Empowered Self. We have Marie Noel Swidaski, who's going to be sharing a story with us. And finish off with a healing with Claire Black, who is uh, not just a healing person, she's also a divorce coach. First of all, we are now going to go ahead. I've got some three international news stories for you. So we're going to start with uh, Russia. Uh, it seems like Russians really like coming here to uh, get divorced. So this is in the Financial Times. It says the Court of Appeal allows a Russian to bring a $6 billion divorce claim in London. This decision is overturning a High Court ruling and it reinforces the city's position as a global centre for such litigation. The Court of Appeal has overturned this um, a lower ruling and decided that the former wife of one of Russia's richest men can bring her $6 billion divorce claim in England, reinforcing London's position as a global centre for such litigations, they said. So the three judges said that Natalia Potanina could bring a financial claim in London against Vladimir Potanin, who is reputed to have a $20 billion fortune and a controlling stake in Norilsk, can't say it, sorry, one of the world's largest producers of nickel and palladium. Now, Potanina was awarded roughly only $41.5 million as a divorce settlement in 2014 by Russia's courts, but she says that she should have received a far larger share of her husband's fortune. Potanina met her husband as a teenager and they married in Russia in 1983, living there for most of their marriage. They divorced in Russia in 2014, unleashing what an English High Court judge described as a blizzard of litigation. Potanina has had a home in England since late 2014. She alleged in the English High Court that she made exhaustive efforts to obtain justice in Russia, but claims the sum which she was awarded does not even begin to meet my reasonable needs. Her attempt to bring proceedings in the English courts was blocked by the High Court in 2019, on the grounds that the couple had little connection with Britain, a judge said that if her claim went ahead, there was effectively no limit to divorce tourism. That's a good point. However, the Court of Appeal judges reversed that decision and granted her permission to bring the case in London's High Court. It is unclear whether Potanin will appear against her decision, will appear against their decision to the Supreme Court. If it goes ahead, the case would be one of the biggest divorce award cases to be heard in the English courts. London has been called the divorce capital of the world due to courts awarding big financial payouts to financially weaker spouses, often wives, but these are people with a lot of money. Couples who have links to the UK but who have divorced overseas and believe they have been treated unfairly can apply for permission to bring their cases to be heard by the English courts under Part 3 of the Matrimonial and Family Proceedings Act 1984. Simon Blaine, partner at law firm Foster, says this case will draw attention to the fact that it is an option for those who have received divorce settlements overseas to come to London to get a second bite at the cherry. God, these divorces are just going to go on and on, aren't they? So now Britain has left the EU, it may be that EU nationals also use the legislation to bring cases in London. However, those who have been awarded huge sums can find it difficult to enforce English court rulings, 
if their former spouse's assets or properties are not located in the UK. Lady Justice Eleanor King noted in her ruling on, th on the Thursday that the 1984 Act was not just designed for families with massive or even of substantial wealth to bring cases. No doubt most people, whether affluent or poor, the sums received by the wife made her a rich woman. Everything is, however, relative. The wife's settlement represented only a tiny proportion of the vast wealth of his family, all of which had been accumulated during this very long marriage, she said. Hugh Fowler Carruthers, the law firm representing Potanina, and Payne Hicks Beach, representing Potanin, both declined to comment. Uh, Norisk Nickel and Interos, another company associated with Potanin, also declined to comment. But I'm sure um, her law firm, Hughes Fowler Carruthers, are very happy about this decision. Now we're going to Edinburgh. Edinburgh News says that a sheriff orders children to move from private to, to state school as parents' divorce leaves them unable to pay fees. Now this is uh, one of the very painful aspects of, of many divorces and but this one they've just really gone overboard. The couple were married in Scotland in 2003 but the woman started an affair from the beginning of her marriage. They're keeping their names uh, private. She told her husband about it when she left him in April 2018 to go and live with her lover. I don't, none of this has anything to do with it, by the way, they, but the papers like to put all of this in. Following the marital breakdown, the father struggled to pay for the children's education and the woman does not earn enough to cover the costs. Sheriff Alison Sterling's written judgment, published this week, but dated from October the 15th, she stated the total school fees for both children in the academic year 2020 to 2021 were £48,710. This was set to rise with inflation to reach £71,103 in 2023 to 24. So that's a big payout. Divorce proceedings at Edinburgh Sheriff Court resulted in legal fees of £200,000, with school fees being at the centre of disputes during the hearings. Sheriff Sterling said the parents did not have the resources, well not now, to keep sending their children to the private school given their net predicted income and expenditures. The court heard that the couple had total shared assets of more than £1.2 but debts of nearly £454,000. You know, it's so sad that they're having a judge decide their children's schooling and that they were completely unable to do this themselves. The sheriff ruled that moving both children from private to state school was the best option for them in the circumstances, despite both of them wanting to stay at the private school. She said it was in the children's best interest to start school immediately after the academic break in October 2020 to prevent their studies being further disrupted by more rows between their parents. In the document, in which neither parents or children are named, Sheriff Sterling said it will allow the children to have certainty. Although the children are likely to be distressed and to find it daunting, to, the move to state school will put an end to the uncertainty they've had over the last year, and which has been causing Emily, not her real name, in particular some anxiety. So these children obviously become very stressed by this whole thing. The sheriff also said fees are unpaid and that there are concerns over how long the private school would tolerate this. Sheriff Serling added, I know that this is not what the children want, but moving to state school now is the best option for them to left for them in the circumstances. Standing the lack of agreement between the parties, specific issues orders are required. The application for divorce was granted. So £200,000 in legal fees, so how many years of school fees could
could that add up to? It's total insanity. If you've uh, wasted money on legal fees arguing over the school fees, uh, you know, please share it with us. What was your experience? Uh, I'd love you to put it in the comments. And our last international story is India. Um, this isn't a real divorce, but there's a reason I'm sharing it. Um, Anupama and Vanraj's divorce Fans can't wait to see the big twist, tell makers Jaldi Caro. For weeks, fans are waiting for Anapama and Vanraj to part ways, but they cannot wait anymore, says India.com. This is uh, all taking place in Mumbai. Anupama and Vanraj's divorce is the much-awaited moment of the Star Plus show Anupama. For over for many weeks now, fans are waiting for Anupama and Vanraj to part ways. But it now seems that as if the viewers cannot wait any more for this big twist. Star Plus took to social media sharing a clip where Anupama catches her husband Vanraj and can and can sorry can Kanvya in, in an intimate scene. Sharing the video, the channel asked fans what they think about Anupama and Vanraj's divorce track. People took it as an opportunity to tell makers that they are finding the track really slow and that Anupama and Vandraj must get divorced as soon as possible. Fast as the story, fast in the story now. It has been stretched far more than enough, one of the fans commented. Another fan mentioned that she is too tired of the track and wrote, please complete this divorce. The majority of the people supported Anupama getting a divorce from Vanraj. Divorce is necessary. Anu shouldn't forgive Vanraj. He will break your trust again if you do so, another social media user wrote. Fans also mentioned that the, sh the slow track is probably one of the reasons that the show lost its top spot on the TRP chart. So we often reflect real life through the media and even in India, I get the impression that once a relationship has no future in the marriage, people just think, well, just get on with it now. Um, and in real life, yet in real life, often the divorce process is delayed uh, because people mainly, they just don't want to address it. And they think, well, maybe we should have a separation agreement or they try to find some way to, to stretch it all out and may stay separated for years. Sometimes they wait uh, for the you know, children to grow up and, and the assets to disappear. And often, I, I, my experience is that if you're going to get divorced, just do it because by waiting quite often that can leave you with zero benefits and quite often wishing that you probably should have started it earlier um, with the proviso that you have obviously you, know, you really know that it's over so even in the media we're saying get on with it and our first guest today our expert is Trisha. Hello Trisha, good to see you. Hi Susan, uh, nice to see you too. And tell us a little bit before we um, start talking, just tell me about your, your empowered self, what does that what does that mean? How did that come about? <clears throat> uh, two different questions there really, so <laughs> what do I do within it is probably the most interesting thing, is um, I'm a, a, a coach and a therapist so I help people achieve whatever they want in life. So in, in the context of this program, if they're wanting, uh, if they've got problems in their relationship, helping them to navigate that, uh, or helping them to uh, deal with the fallout from the breakup of a relationship as well. Basically, whatever they need in order to live the best life they can, to have confidence and so on. And so uh, what made you start doing that though? All right, so what's the questions? Yes. <laughs> so I used to work. I used to work in the corporate world, uh, where I was 
very happy mostly. Uh, so my last role was global HR director, um, but I really don't do office politics very well. So I decided to divorce the corporate world and to start off on my own. And I, I looked at what is it that I enjoy about that work, which is dealing with people and uh, dealing with issues and translated that into a career that I do enjoy uh, without any of the office politics. And it's been just absolutely tremendous. It's actually quite um, quite a big decision to start to work for yourself, uh, but it's been terrific. I've been doing it for about 22 years now. And uh, have you found, I mean, I, I imagine that in HR that you would have come across a divorce being an issue in the workplace, because. I know it is an issue, but sometimes it's not always brought to HR. What kind of impact do you think it has on people that affects them in the workplace, which presumably uh, definitely makes them feel very unempowered and where coaching becomes a really useful tool for them? Yeah, well, people at work who are going through difficulties in their marriage, their eyes are going to be taken off the ball, so their performance is going to be impacted. They might be more irritable than usual, uh, have more difficulty concentrating. There may be a lot of personal phone calls where they're dealing with issues at home or having a row over the phone or dealing with the the solicitor and so on. So it, uh, it, it really impacts on their ability to be present at work. Um, and also you've got the issue of sometimes people having uh, extramarital relationships at work as well, which will, th- will then cause divorce often. So, you know, it can get quite muddy. I have a friend who uh, he said it, it just took up so much time. You know, the lunch break wasn't big enough and there was that fear of would they kind of see on his computer that he'd been trying to do just to get information. It was really, really, really stressful. Um, so with the, the co- I mean, I'm, as you know, a massive fan of coaching, I think. Uh, and I love this, the, the you know, empowered self because my uh, experience of family separation was to feel, I always used to say I had the confidence, self-confidence of a slug um, at, at that point. It was just, it was just awful. I've never experienced anything like it. So to go from that to, to even think that you could ever feel great again is, is quite a big step. Um, what sort of techniques and ways of working do you use to help people who are really, really on the floor? Um, I've got a massive toolkit, but the main ones that I use, um, I'm a clinical hypnotherapist, advanced clinical hypnotherapist, so I use a lot of that, although I might have sessions where I don't use it at all. I'm a master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming, which is the is, is kind of how to use the mind in a more positive way. Um, but I also use uh, techniques, uh, energy psychology techniques to help manage uh, difficult emotions. Of course, there are many difficult emotions in divorce, such as anger, grief, blame, shame, uh, fear, all of those things. Uh, so helping with those. And I've got some techniques uh, that are designed for dealing with trauma as well. Uh, the, the main one being eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, or EMDR. So uh, over the 22 years, I've, I've done a, a great deal of training. I was thinking, right, this is another thing that I can do to help people, help them be at their best. And, and one of the pieces that I did that might seem an unusual fit was uh, about 12 years ago, I became a nutritionist because I realized that people that were um, tired all the time or having problems uh, with um, 
while I was doing a lot of work around weight, that there was a, a, a nutritional element as well. Uh, so I, I learned that over a two-year period. So, so I, that's why I call myself an integrative coach and therapist, because I integrate lots of tools and techniques. Um, I integrate um, mind and body. And I also integrate parts of the self as well. So where you have two parts of the self that are in conflict, like the part that wants an amicable, uh, an amicable divorce, but the part that really wants to show them that they were wrong, those parts within yourself are in conflict. And so I do work to help to resolve that internal conflict so that the person can achieve the outcome that they want themselves. That's fabulous. And you, because um, I think and nutrition, I'm really interested in the nutrition side because I think that's something people just don't think about. Um, there's a sort of joke that you've got the divorce diet with the trauma that often people lose a lot of weight. Sadly, it doesn't stay off. Um, but actually, it's more about, I, I found, especially when you're going through a, a traumatic time, you just don't eat properly. Now, you'll dish something up for the kids because they've got to eat, but uh, sort of all the joy of food disappears and it's it's like being, yeah, well, you're in a sort of bereavement process, really. So, and, and also with the stress and depression, that's very closely linked, isn't it, to nutrition? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it's something people don't, they're just not aware of. Yeah, it's it's really important because unfortunately, the things that we crave the most when we're stressed are the things that make us feel worse. So uh, you've, you've alluded to, you, you know, um, that you can't be bothered to, to make the food, but usually the food that you do make is the easiest food to make as well. So basically we go to, for the simple carbs, which are things like white bread, chips, fish and chips, things like, you know, things that don't have much nutrition in there. And they make us feel very sluggish and they're linked to depression. Uh, but also those foods actually give us uh, a bit of a boost at the time that we eat them. We get a sugar spike, um, so we feel a little bit better. They lift our spirits a little bit as well. Uh, we tend to crave them when we are depressed, uh, but then we get uh, the, uh, the fall down where we, all our energy is gone, so we then crave more. So we get into this cycle of eating the wrong thing, getting tired, eating more, getting tired, eating more. And uh, that's how people put on weight. That's why people are fatigued. That's why people are depressed. And so it feeds into a very negative cycle. And when people get divorced, often their confidence is affected as well. Mm. And so when you when you when your confidence is on the floor, when you're stressed and burnt out, and you're not feeding, you're not nourishing yourself. You're making everything so much more difficult but we're working on instinct because we want those comfort foods uh so it is a vicious circle yeah and 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 the, and the drink as well could be very comforting but uh, you have to be very careful um would, would you, fact, if you drink is, it, is less sorry go on drink no, is less comforting as it is numbing Yes, actually, that's a better description, description, especially yeah. a good, good glass of red wine to sort of zonk you out of the day, end of the day. But you're not in the best state of mind to manage these things in, in the right way. And, and uh, before you go, I'd love you to share some, because uh, I'm sure you've got some, some good tips, really, some um, some some ideas of how what people should really focus on if they're watching now particularly if they are feeling traumatized in fact before we do that i have a question for you actually do you think there's been a rise in the number of people who are you know, identifiably more traumatized by their divorce or by the relationship that they're leaving 
Have you noticed that or is it just that it's just becoming more obvious? Um, I've noticed in the last 12 months since lockdown that um, there are a lot more relationships that are floundering. And because people are so very, very stressed, they're not dealing with the stress of that very well. So, so A, I think the divorce rates are, I, I don't know the actual facts, but my, my observation is that it's much, much worse and people are dealing with it uh, in, a, in a worse way as well. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really uh, alarming because everybody hurts in those cases, mm-hmm. don't they? You know, Especially so the children. Especially yeah. the children, yeah. So I think you said top tips, didn't you? Mm. I th- I think I would say that um, there's a lot of negative emotion around divorce. So there's grief, loss, blame, guilt, anger, fear, um, and often grief around what has been lost. It's the ending of something very important. Whether the person has, has sought that for themselves or not, there is a grief about the loss. Yeah. But I think it's also important to think of it as a beginning. So it's the end of that chapter. What can be learned? Uh, what can you learn for yourself that you're able to take into the next chapter? What do you want to create in this next chapter uh, for yourself that makes uh, all of this um, not lost because you don't want it as something that's that was a, a a bad episode in your life and not to take anything good from it what can you take that is useful for you going forward mm. i think that's probably the best thing that's sound advice thank you very much it's thank lovely you. to have you on the show it's been a pleasure take care so I cut, cut you off there. But yes, take care. Thank you. I shall indeed. And great to have you on the show. And what we're going to do now is very briefly have, I want to finish off the, the Divorce Masterclass session on parental alienation that we were talking about last week. So what we've got now is we're still talking about calm seas. This is more around, focused around the the children and the co-parenting if you go into the uh, best way to divorce app you can access the whole the whole course on this um and under this attack section parental alienation is is one of the most painful things we talked about that last week and i was talking about uh, an article that i found really interesting i wanted to share a little bit more of it of it with you so it breaks down three distinct types of alienation which have been defined one type one this is prepare yourself because I found this quite disturbing when I first read it because I recognized myself in some of these because trust me this you know we we should not sit on our high horse with this one type one naive alienator tell your father that he has more money than I do so let him buy your soccer shoes is an example of that so a naive alienators are parents who are passive about the children's relationship with the other parent, but will occasionally do or say something that can alienate. All parents will occasionally be naive alienators. It's just being human. So now I can certainly put my hand up to that one. Luckily, my children um, at that point were old enough to police me and put me right if I erred into any any denigration of the other parent. They had the confidence to do that, but that shouldn't be their job. So even such a low, naive level of alienation is just not acceptable, but it is sometimes hard to avoid. But just be be aware of it. 
Type 2, these are more active alienators. So I don't want to tell your father that I earned this extra money. The miser will take it from his child support check and that will keep us from going to Disneyland. You remember he's done this before when we wanted to go to Grandma's for Christmas. Now, an active alienators are also, uh, they know better than to alienate. They're aware of it, but their intense hurt or anger causes them to impulsively lose control over their behavior or what they say. Later, they can often feel really guilty about the way they've behaved. So if, again, if you ever find yourself doing that or find someone else doing that, it doesn't mean they've turned into some terrible, horrendous person who's always gonna be trying to alienate children, but if they're really hurt and really angry, it is going to happen. So this is why it's so, so important to, to access healing and coaching and, and deal with that anger because it will come out in nasty ways and it's, it's almost impossible not to. And then type three, we have our obsessed alienator. An example of that is, I love my children. If the court can't protect them from their abusive father, I will. Even though he's never abused the children, I know it's a matter of time. The children are frightened of their father. If they don't want to see him, I'm not going to force them. They are old enough to make up their own minds. I've certainly heard those words um, before uh, from parents. And obsessed alienators have a fervent cause to destroy the targeted parent. So they may talk about protecting the child and of course in, there will be occasions when that is absolutely true but there'll also be times when it is just them actually wanting to destroy the other parent and to take the kids away from them. Frequently a parent can be a blend between two types of alienators, usually a combination between the naive and the active alienator. Rarely does the obsessed alienator have enough self-control or insight to blend with the other types. These three patterns of alienating behaviours are not intended to be used as a diagnosis. The types have not been validated sufficiently for litigation. They're not legal terms. In the Psychology Today article by Edward Crook, the article goes on to say, keep in mind that the source of alienating behaviour can come from mothers, fathers, step-parents, relatives, and even babysitters, best friends of the parent, the parent's attorney or lawyer, or even a therapist. Thought-provoking words indeed. So how many times have any of us been drawn to taking sides and becoming critical of the other parent on behalf of our friend or our sibling or member of our family? Implacable hostility in the UK is recognised by the courts in the UK and it's typically seen where the mothers obstruct the father's access to the children. And this is something you can take someone to court over and the consequences for a mother that does this can be very severe so with very young children under two it may also be aware it may, may be all too easy to make the mistake that that they're not listening to your conversation uh, when you berate your ex to their many of their many inf uh, imperfections to your friends for example but as a society we all need to be aware of the more subtle forms of alienation and remember to put the child first so even if our best friend is criticising a parent, no matter what age the child, either take that child out of earshot, or even better, tell the parent to shut the hell up. We are moving now to our shared story. So get comfortable, and here we go. And 
welcome to Marie. How are you? Hi, Susie. I'm very well. How are you? Thanks so much for having me tonight. I'm very d delighted. We love it when people come and share their stories. So before you share your story, just briefly tell us a little bit about yourself so we know who you are and, and why why you think this is a good story to share. So I'm a half French, half Polish interior architect and designer. I live in London uh, with my husband and 16-year-old daughter. And I transform people's homes. So I do that around the world in different languages and I do it for all kinds of clients, as you can imagine. The story that I'm bringing to you today is that, of course, my going into people's homes is always of significance and it always has a big impact. But never more so when I realize actually how much I'm allowing and witnessing people discovering or rediscovering themselves through the process. So a client was introduced to me by an architect I work with often, um, and I was told that the brief was to transform a newly bought property. Mm -hmm. And that's all I was told about the client, apart from the fact that the brief was to <clears throat> transform that house along a very specific architectural style. And usually people don't come with a very specific architectural style in mind. They tell me what they like, what they don't like. Anyway. So I met with the client, started proposing ideas, and obviously the process started evolving. The house started taking form in mood boards and fabrics, and I guided the client through choices, where to spend money, what to create focal points on, etc. And as is my role, I push my clients a little bit because obviously I'm here to amplify that vision that they may have of how they want to live. And as the process was evolving, I realized that that style had huge significance for the client because it was something that they'd always dreamed of living in. And it just never happened for them. And I learned kind of after the fact that they had recently been divorced. And so bringing this style into this new property was truly accessing a life that they'd always aspired to and never did for whatever reason. And I never make it about the past. I never make it about what it used to be like or what it wasn't good the way it was, etc. And so I really focused on, as I said, pushing that client gradually and softly and subtly choosing my battles. But whenever I sensed that they were ready, but not quite, you know, a little too shy still to take that leap, I suggested things. And invariably, it was beautiful to see how the client's face lit up and the response was, yeah, let's do it. And it was an exciting journey that we took together. And ultimately, it made me realize more than with several of my other clients, it made me realize that for this particular client, we were not just creating a home. We were recreating self-confidence, self-esteem, and identity, actually. So it was a really beautiful adventure. That's a lovely story because people, uh, your identity often is, is totally trash and you and you've may, especially if you've had children, you don't know who you are anymore. It must have been very exciting for for that client to, to have and, and so important to be encouraged to express themselves more because if you've spent years um, not being yourself, perhaps in the relationship, 
you know, to be able to, to, to put that right must be amazing. And I, I think um, I, it's not just with decor and homes, it's clothes, it's everything, isn't it? I remember one, a friend of mine, she completely changed her look. She became much more feminine. Um, she just did all the things that her husband hadn't wanted her to do. But it took, it was like an explosion. So do you, do you feel that when people, because again, another area where um, it, property, doing up property becomes uh, important when you're going through divorce, of course, is having to remake that place. If you can't move, perhaps, and you have to, but, but you've split and it was the family home, but now it's your home and the children's, for example, or maybe your the husband who's who's divorced and you're taking over that home and you've got all those memories there it's really important isn't it to to take a fresh look at this place and make it your own it's super important to allow a fresh pair of eyes such as mine for example to come and accompany you through the assessment of what it is that you truly love and to really free yourself from any assumptions any ideas that you made your own even though they were not your own and not necessarily you know violently or or you know unpleasantly but just because you mold yourself and you forget that there's a me space and a we space and you just mm -hmm. kind of end up leaving everything in the we space and then when that unit splits what's left you don't know anymore right mm -hmm. and so to be able as you said to look at a space that you have shared and make it your own again. It doesn't have to take a lot of money. It doesn't have even to take a lot of time or effort. It's about allowing yourself to be guided. And it's more than often than not, not being your own worst enemy and really granting yourself the permission to reconnect with yourself and to remember, I used to love color and we did something neutral because it was a common ground or I love art and our walls are just bare and painted or, you know, it, it could be so many things. And sometimes it doesn't have to be a big thing, but that symbolic thing can then perhaps when there's more money or more time or more confidence mushroom into, you know, a more in-depth transformation. But often it starts with one key thing where symbolically every time you're going to look at that plant or that piece of art or that piece of furniture you've always wanted, you think, you know what, I'm on my way and this is me, this is truly me, this is my home. That's a lovely way to say it. And, and where you live, that place, that environment around you is, is so vital to your your mental state, especially when you're going through a traumatic time. And uh, and from personal experience, I can honestly say d people should get some help. Don't try and just go because you're so you don't realize how blocked you are and you need someone to push you and to, to guide you. Thank you so much. That was lovely. And um, maybe another time we'll get you back. I'd love to see some of the work that you've done. I bet you do work on some amazing places. With pleasure. Thank you so much, Susie. So we're going to have a quick uh, uh, tile roulette. And the one I wanted to pick out today is, um, this is if you go into the app, uh, bestwaytodivorce.online will take you straight to the app. It opens up on desktops and any phone. I've not found a phone yet. It doesn't work on. And the one I wanted to pick out uh, is, is your ex an idiot? It's a little, little uh, video. It's an animated video. It's actually very positive. Um, uh, but hopefully in a wry and humorous way. I would love anyone, one of you who's, because I know lots of people have got the app, you may not have noticed it there hiding away. So watch it and co comment and let me know what you think. Um, 
because I I think these little videos are really useful but if if you think so too I might make some more and we still have our next event in June with um, no actual alligators but it's about overcoming the fear of the divorce finances this is a UK based one and uh, hopefully we'll be doing some international ones um, within the year is my plan but if you're in the UK try and get along to this one it's a great it's particularly good if you're in the early stages or maybe you're in the thick of it and you're just thinking oh, I'm not quite sure what's going on here and, and want to take a bit more control now I'm going to bring in Claire who is going to be doing a lovely healing um, but you're actually a divorce coach aren't you Yes, that's right. Hi, Susie. Nice to Hello. see you. And, uh, and just before you start, tell us what the healing is. Why, why do you do healing? Because not every divorce coach does healings. Um, it, it, I um, trained um, as a master NLP practitioner, like your, your first guest. And part of my training was some um, hypnotic, sort of miltonic um, strategies and techniques to use. And I love using them because they can bring a sense of calm um, and a sense of sort of lowering that heart rate and taking back control of um, your body and your your emotions. So that's why I use them to help clients gain that kind of sense of calm. Sounds lovely. And so, what are you going to be doing with us today? So today, I'm going to share with you a strategy which I call um, being the Steven Spielberg of your own mind. Sounds gorgeous. Right, I'm going to let you go go with it. Hi, so many of my clients uh, feel anxious and uncertain. Perhaps meeting with your ex makes you feel nervous or attending a hearing or perhaps bumping into your ex on the bus scares you silly. It's really easy to imagine all the things that could possibly go wrong. But what if, instead of asking, what if this goes wrong? You could ask, what if I could behave exactly as I want, confidently and calmly? So I'm going to share a technique that will help you to imagine exactly that. Your mind doesn't know the difference between what you imagine and what you remember. And your memory and your imagination fire the same circuits in your brain. So when you imagine yourself successfully handling a situation you're worried about, you're giving the brain the message that you can do this. And when you come to do it in real life, your brain will think you've already done it. So I'd like you just to spend a moment bringing to mind a situation that perhaps brings you some level of anxiety. And consider how you would like to behave, what you would like to say and do in that situation. Imagine what you would like to be wearing, what you would like to say, and how you would like to stand. And let's be the Steven Spielberg of your own mind. So sitting comfortably, feet on the floor, breathing deeply. Breathe in slowly while you count to five, two, three, four, five. And then breathe out while you count to seven, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And let's just breathe in again. And out. And imagine that you're the director of a movie. You have the power to direct this movie exactly as you would like. 
Imagine yourself sitting in the projection box and you press start on this movie and you watch it on the screen in front of you. The movie starts just before the event that you're worried about. You can see yourself on the screen and you can watch that event right the way through. So looking at the screen, watch yourself standing or sitting exactly as you want. Hear yourself saying exactly what you need to say, acting calmly and confidently and exactly as you would wish, knowing that you have all the resources you need. And watch that scene right the way through to the end until it's finished and you know that you've done your very best. And now we're going to rewind that scene right the way back to the beginning to before it started and ask yourself what could I do to make that even better? This time we're going to move seats too so come out of the projection box and move further forward in the cinema. The screen is bigger, it's brighter and it's nearer to you. The picture is more vivid and the sound is clearer and louder. And run that scene right the way through from the beginning again. Notice again how you're behaving exactly as you would like. Notice how you have all the resources you need. You're saying the words you want to say, calmly, confidently. And notice how all the other people around you, if there are any in that scene, respond to you differently now. Watch yourself sitting or standing exactly as you want, saying what you need to say knowing you have all the resources you need and watch that scene right the way through from the beginning again to the end. And then again, we're going to rewind right back to the beginning another time. Again, thinking to yourself, what could I do to make this even better? And we're going to run the scene through again. Only this time, you're going to get up out of your chair and step into the scene. Now you're part of that scene. You're feeling it and hearing it from within your own skin. You're seeing it through your own eyes and experiencing it with your body. Notice how it feels to be part of that scene where you're sitting or standing exactly as you want. You're wearing clothes that help you to feel the way you want to feel. You hear yourself saying exactly what you need to say and acting again calmly and confidently and exactly as you would wish, knowing that you have all the resources you need at your fingertips and really feel yourself going through that scene. You could say the words out loud if you need to. You're in control of those words. You're in control of your actions and your thoughts. And you know when you get to the end that you've done your very best. 
and watch that scene right the way through. Right from the beginning to the very end when it's all done and you've done your best. And when you get to the end of that, just notice how you feel now that you know that you know what you want to say. You know how you want to act. And you've noticed how other people respond to you differently. And notice that you can rewind that scene back to the beginning as many times as you like in preparation for this event. Until your mind is totally clear and you know exactly what to do. And then take some more deep breaths in. And out. And in again. And out. And feel that calm. Well done. Thank you. I nearly went off there. <laughs> so calm. Because one day, one day I just won't come back. I'll <laughs> leave somebody sitting there. Um, so that was beautiful, Claire. Thank you very, very much. I really, really, that must be so useful, particularly if you're stressed about something like um, going to a mediation for the first time or something anything like that it's a really useful technique i like that very much thank you so thank you to all my guests and um my final words are in the war of divorce on the battlefield of family separation always always make peace your weapon of choice <laughs>